can open your Bible to Psalm 80. We're going to look at it in just a minute or two, but before we do that, I want to uh, let you know that uh, it's not a sermon this morning, it's a history lesson, and it's a very important history lesson. I don't want you to, and I want you to know that I'm not uh, twisting anything as far as history is concerned. I'm giving you some information from some reliable sources, some very reliable sources, and so I brought two books with me that I'm going to be addressing information from. I brought, um, I brought Rod Gregg's book, Forged in Faith, and I brought uh, The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall and Dave Manuel. And uh, so I, I want us to be looking at that. But um, Psalm 80, we'll get to that in just a, a few minutes. But uh, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of resources that you give to us, and we pray, Lord, that everything that you give to us will use for your honor and glory. We pray for the gift of your word. We pray for the gift of a Christian heritage that we can enjoy. And we pray in your precious name that you would encourage us on this 4th of July to think about things perhaps that we never really thought about or even knew. We pray these things in Jesus, your most precious and holy name. Amen. I want to begin back in the time of the, um, time of the Boston Tea Party. Um, and I, I, I want you to understand that by the time we declared our independence, we were already at war with, with England. Um, the Boston Tea Party and the retaliation, closing of Boston Harbor, Lexington and Concord, Bunker Hill, and numerous other illustrations of what was happening until we got to the place where there was uh, no return. But I wanted, to, um, I wanted to begin with this quote. I've often said I'd like to be the fly on the wall of someone's house or a location so I could hear what other people were saying. Most of the governors, obviously, in the 13 colonies, all of them were actually appointed by the king of England. And one of them wrote to the Board of Trade in England, to the Board of Trade, if you ask an American who is his master, he will tell you he has none, nor any governor but Jesus Christ. Now, that became a theme during the American Revolution, and I, I believe personally, and I think the author here does too, that it gave rise to the cry which was soon passed up and down the length of America by the committees of correspondence. People didn't have telephones back in that day, and uh, you know, when Rome wanted to get the news of the explosion of Mount Vesuvius over the villages of Pompeii and Herculaneum, they had to build bonfires, and they had to relay the message by those bonfires across the hills till it got to Rome, 200 miles away. Can you imagine getting information in the 13 colonies by horseback? Can you imagine how long that took and how difficult? So a committee of correspondence was set up, not only in towns and cities, but also in the 13 colonies, and the cry became 
all up and down the coast, no king but King Jesus. No king but King Jesus. And, and that is important for us to understand because we're having a problem with the king of England who is oppressive. We tried and we tried and we tried to resolve the issue many, many times, but things continue to get worse and worse and worse. And so the retaliation for the Boston Tea Party, which was, as you know, one of the things that we did, uh, the colonists did in New England to protest what was happening, um, the retaliation was that the British Empire closed the port of Boston. And in the process of closing the port of Boston, it was going to be a financial, financial collapse, hopefully, for the most prosperous uh, trade uh, city in, in the United States or in, in the colonies at the time. And so Massachusetts didn't know what to do, and so they asked for help from the 13 colonies. And so the 13 colonies stepped up, and, uh, and uh, they provided food, and they provided um, all kinds of supplies, and they donated provisions from all of the colonies, um, and even Virginia. Virginia, when they heard the word, um, decided to do more than just that. They decided to sit down and figure out what we're going to do with this. And so Virginia um, decided that they were going to meet together. And uh, in 1775, this is a year before the 4th of July, the Patrick Henry gave a very famous speech, and I think you're familiar with that speech. He said, there is no longer room for hope. If we wish to be free, we must fight and appeal to the arms and to the God of hosts is all that has left us. They tell me that we are weak, but shall we gather strength by irresolution? We are not weak. Three million people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. We shall not fight alone. God presides over the destinies of nations and will raise up friends for us. The battle is not the strong, to the strong only. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, and you know you're familiar with this, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Isn't that the yearning in all of our hearts? It's a God-given, self-evident thing that God has built into all of us. And so I, I, I want to give you a couple of other things leading up to the 4th of July. And I'm basically going to quote most of that from Greg and uh, some of the things that he, he uh, has written. Thoroughly examining church history, and I say church history because you cannot link American history uh, you can't set it out there all by itself. You have to link it to church history. When uh, Patrick Henry gave his message or his speech the year before that, the House of Burgesses had been dissolved by the Virginia royal governor. 
And um, when the house of Burgesses met for a fast day, a day of fasting and prayer on May the 24th, 1774, the legislators officially observed that day. They marched together to the local Anglican church for prayer, which was the Church of England, right? Most Anglicans back then were for independence, believe it or not. The resolution was quickly printed in a flyer. It was distributed on the streets of Williamsburg, and it was carried to all of the villages and towns throughout Virginia. And, of course, the Earl of Dunmore, the royal governor, showed up at the House of Burgesses when he heard what was happening, and he told them that it was an insult to the king and he said, you cannot have a day of prayer and fasting. And he pronounced as punishment the dissolution of the House of Burgesses. We know from history that a group of our founding fathers went over to Raleigh Tavern. If you've been to Williamsburg, you've probably been down there. And you've been on the streets of Williamsburg. And we tried to, we, we, we went to the Raleigh Tavern to eat because we knew it was the place of many important meetings. And um, 89 Virginia lawmakers, including Patrick Henry, George Washington, Peyton Randolph, Richard Henry Lee, and Thomas Jefferson among them, drafted a new resolution and said, we need to get the 13 colonies together to talk about this. So they established the first continental Congress. And in establishing the first Continental Congress, I don't have time to go through almost anything on that first Continental Congress, but I do want to say to you that the words that were given by one of the governors that if you ask Americans who they serve, they say King Jesus. Word got back to England and in the British Parliament, one of the knowledgeable members tried to explain what was going on in America and why fellow lawmakers needed to pay attention. He said, if you ask an American who is his master, he advised, he will tell you he has none, nor any governor, but Jesus Christ. I do believe it is in my firm opinion that the opposition to the measures of the legislature of this country is a determined prepossession of the idea, he said, of independence. But where did, where did America get the idea? Uh, America got the idea, of course, from its religious heritage, from our Christian heritage. The First Continental Congress dismissed, and they determined that they were going to have a Second Continental Congress, and that Second Continental Congress convened the following spring, on May the 10th, 1775. We already had Lexington and Concord. We'd already had uh, problems, and um, we'd already been engaged in battle with Great Britain. And so the Second Continental Congress was established. 
Congress met at Pennsylvania State House, which lay just down the street from Carpenter's Hall. If you've been to Philadelphia and you've seen those sites, you'll see how important. But housed in a tower above the stately brick structure was a huge bell. We all know this. I, I shouldn't have to read this. Famously named the Liberty Bell. Because the Liberty Bell was inscribed, on, on it was inscribed the scripture from the book of Leviticus, proclaim liberty throughout all the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. And so Congress met to discuss what to do. And um, I'd want to give you a little bit of an account of what happened on May the 10th, um, on July the 20th, rather. The delegates to the Second Continental Congress filed past the handsome columns and whitewashed walls that graced the sanctuary of the Philadelphia Christ Church. Quietly, they seated themselves in the sanctuary's box pews. The Anglican Church was a Philadelphia landmark in its lofty brick bell tower, and you can visit it today. And you can see the, the things on the pews where famous Americans sat. It was July the 20th, 1775, and the delegates were present at Christ Church for a national event. The Congress had officially declared this summer day to be a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Now, you read our documents, you'll find out it was done all the time. Not just once, not just twice, but many times. And so, following their advice that the 13 colonies would observe a national day of prayer. The delegates voted to observe the day of prayer by worshiping together. And so they went to the church to worship and to pray. Now, I don't need to tell you that we made every effort. You know this is true from history. But we made every effort to try to resolve our differences with Great Britain. We made every effort to do that. And you know that the Olive Branch Petition was made directly to King George III by our own Pennsylvania um, prominent leader and attorney, John Dickinson. And it was an appeal respectfully given to King George III asking that we stop the hostility until we can resolve the issue. The same week that that was given, the Continental Congress adopted what was known as the Declaration of the Causes and Necessities of Taking Up Arms. And I... It's a, it's a document that really helps us to understand where America was at that time as far as our heritage, Christian heritage, was concerned. Because the Declaration acknowledged that we were growing up as a nation according to the will of God in His divine favor, removing, removing all of the flaws and the problems, making attempts to do that, as we were growing in the Lord. I mean, it's a declaration that makes that claim. It was preached so often in American pulpits in all of those years that we were able to say, with hearts fortified with these animating reflections, 
we most solemnly before God and the world declare that exerting the utmost energy of those powers which our beneficent Creator hath graciously bestowed upon us, the arms we have been compelled by our enemies to assume, we will, in defiance of every hazard, with unabating firmness and perseverance, employ for the preservation of our liberties. It concluded with a statement on behalf of the faith of the American people, with a humble confidence in the mercies of the supreme and impartial judge and ruler of the universe, we most devoutly implore his divine goodness to conduct us through this great conflict. Now, don't forget, we were already at war with Great Britain when all of this happened. Bunker, Bunker Hill um, was, uh, was just a month um, Lexington Concord had occurred. Um, and we were trying to figure out what a Christian group of colonies should do. And so Congress did what it normally did at that time, saying, we want the Lord's help. We want to do what the Lord wants us to do. We're going to make many mistakes along the way. There are going to be lots of problems. But we want to, we want to do what... God says a nation should do. And so the first thing they did is say, we've got we to have another day of public, in, public humiliation, fasting, and prayer so that we can unite our hearts and voices. And once again, I can read many of these through the years of leading up to the Declaration of Independence. And so I'll, I'll skip that, but I will say that in Philadelphia... When this uh, day of prayer and fasting was given, uh, the people met in churches. In Chester County, Pennsylvania, a Baptist minister uh, gives the title of his sermon, gives the title of, he tells us that George Washington near Boston, the Continental Army, um, was, uh, was, was observing the day of fasting and prayer. The Continental Congress observed the official fast day by spending most of its time in church at Christ Church. They actually had determined that they were going to meet at Christ Church in the morning and then they were going to pray again in the afternoon at Philadelphia's Old Pine Street Church, which was a Presbyterian church. But they had the famous Jacob Duche, who was the preacher of Christ Church, give the opening prayer and deliver the sermon. And the sermon that he delivered was Psalm 80. So you have it. I'm not going to sermonize on it, but I do want us to read it. I want us to read Psalm 80 and, and see if we can make some application in our own minds as we look at the psalm. So Jacob Duche had everybody look at Psalm 80 where it begins with, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God, cause your face, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? 
You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it. You caused it to take deep root and fill the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boar out of the woods uproots it and the wild beast of the field devours it. You see, he's, he's making an analogy here that this is the United States of America, and Lord, you planted us on this continent, and we're growing up, but because of our national sins and because of our unrighteousness, we're going to experience the same fate as Israel. Hence, national days of humiliation and prayer were necessary. And in verse 14, return we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burning with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name Restore us, O Lord God of hosts, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. You know, the clear observation that we should probably make at this point is that one thing our founding fathers were always very careful to acknowledge was the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that our only hope as a nation was always in Christ. That our only hope of growth, our only hope of becoming a light to the world was through Christ. They understood that. And so when we think of uh, their big decision as to whether or not it was going to be the right thing to do to separate from Great Britain, that was the real big decision they had to make. They were very, very concerned, always concerned about us as a nation acknowledging our sin and going to the Lord in repentance. It's a key, humility. In our national pride, we need to be humble. And so <clears throat> that afternoon, they attended the Philadelphia Old Pine Street Church as well. And uh, a new wave of sermons went across this country. And the time came for us to determine whether or not it was right for us to separate from, from England. And so I'll just say this one bit of information. Uh, we search the scriptures constantly for answers to that. And many Reformed pastors cited the just war defense from the 1646 Westminster Confession of Faith as a statement um, allowing, permitting, encouraging separation. Now, <clears throat> let's go to that day. We'll finish up with uh, some quick 
statistics. I wanted to read some of the statements out of this book because I thought the authors were very colorful. This was the decisive day that they all knew, July the 1st, 1776, July the 1st. The Continental Congress assembled to vote for or against American independence. Now, they had tried to vote three weeks earlier, but they couldn't get a consensus on that. And they couldn't get a consensus, um, so they decided, well, we'll come back three weeks from now and see if we can get a consensus. They put together a committee of five. They drew up the Declaration of Independence just in case there was a desire to separate from England. Once again, it was always a big question, can we resolve this or is it too late? And uh, England had made it clear that there was no way to resolve it any longer. We're not talking to you anymore. We're not doing anything. We are going to handle it militarily. And so when the question of independence finally came to the floor of Congress, deliberations continued for nine hours from morning until night. It still wasn't resolved. And so one of the delegates said, well, why don't we wait? Sleep on it tonight and come back again tomorrow. Now here we are, two days away from July the 4th, right? Congress passed the motion and adjourned with a final vote scheduled for July the 2nd. When the, sec when the Continental Congress reconvened in the morning of July the 2nd, the vote count, the vote count had changed. And not only did the vote count change, but every single delegate, without exception, unanimously voted for a Declaration of Independence. It wouldn't be adopted by uh, Congress for two more days, and, uh, but it finally was adopted two, more, two days later. And when it was adopted two days later... Um, it was sent out to all of the colonies in the United States of America. On Thursday, July the 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress officially approved the Declaration of Independence. It was then printed with copies sent to each of the United States for public reading. On July the 8th, it was read aloud to a crowd of several hundred outside that would become known as Independent, outside the building known as Independence Hall. When the reading ended, exuberant cheers echoed over the streets of Philadelphia. In New York, the Commander-in-Chief, General George Washington, ordered it read to his assembled troops. In Williamsburg, Virginia, it was publicly read at three locations. In Boston, worshipers risked exposure to a smallpox epidemic to hear it read at a church service. And today, we are sitting here. The document itself, does it have any Christian references? Several Christian references. Our, our Christian heritage is clearly, clearly in the document of the Declaration of Independence when it refers to the fact that we submit to the laws of nature and of nature's God. It refers to our religious heritage, our Christian heritage, when it says all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The American people, you see, we as a nation universally believe that God was our creator and that we held everyone equally precious in his sight. 
They believed that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were indeed God-given, unalienable rights, and that we were endowed as a human race by God's grace to pursue it. And um, clearly, that was the case. But let me say this finally then, as far as the Declaration of Independence is concerned, that um, the, history, uh, the, the history of the Declaration, of course, has all of, these, all of these examples of oppression, you see. And we wanted to remove that. We wanted to remove that. And so the Declaration uh, addressed all of those issues related to the king for the most part. And then, whenever it was passed on July the 4th, 1776, John Hancock made his famous statement that I want to write it so big, and you know he's got the first signature, so that the King of England can read it without his spectacles. Benjamin Franklin reported, jokingly, we must all hang together, or most assuredly we shall hang separately. But I like Samuel Adams' statement Samuel Adams' statement <clears throat> was, um, was like this. We have this day, he told them, restored the sovereign to whom alone men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven and with a propitious eye beholds his subjects assuming that freedom which he bestowed on them from the rising to the setting sun may his kingdom come. You and I know that we're waiting for the kingdom of Christ. You and I know that God established the, the United States of America not as a perfect nation to get us one step closer to that, as he does around the world, because he's in control. The heart of the king is in his hand. We know that. We know all of that, don't we? But you see, it's that freedom that we long for, that we want. It's that freedom that has led us in our path. And uh, Samuel Adams had it right. He said, from the rising to the setting sun, may his kingdom come because we have no king but King Jesus. And um, those are just some of my feeble comments. I, I, I guess I shouldn't have underlined so much. Um, I had to cut so much out of that in underlining what I did. But having said that, it's important for us to recognize that we're still in a journey. I'm glad that we have the freedom here in the United States of America to worship as we please. I wish everybody in the world had that freedom. I wish, uh, I, I wish that we could uh, continue to be a light and salt in this world. Uh, I'm a little leery about that, obviously, but that doesn't mean it can't happen again and that we can be a great testimony of the world.